Thank you, Oscar. Well, good morning. Uh, there's a lot we can learn from uh, people with significant life experience, isn't there? I mean, there's, there's just people who have gone before us who can f- reflect and share their thoughts and wisdom to us. Uh, to have a little fun with this, I looked at uh, Reddit, and I saw a post there that's been around for a couple of years, people voting on kind of the best advice that older members of Reddit have passed on to people with, uh, who are getting ready to start their young adult life. Uh, what's uncommon, uh, non-cliche life advice that you'd give to someone starting out their life was kind of the, the prompt. The top voted answer, take care of your teeth and your credit, uh, which is very deep stuff and helpful. Um, actually, the top voted up uh, reply to that was a young adult who said, joke's on you, I lost all of my teeth in an accident, and I'm in an obscene amount of medical debt from the same thing, and I'm perfectly happy, so there's that. Um, Reddit being Reddit, also way up on the top of the list was this advice, never buy lasagna from a vending machine at a gas station. (laughs) The people in the thread there were like, there's got to be a story behind that one. Um, Okay, some more serious uh, uh, advice uh, that was up there. Uh, Learn how to resolve conflict. It will help your personal life and you will become invaluable to organizations. Uh, Friends and friendships are harder to make and maintain as you get older. Don't take the friendships that you have for granted. And this is a little bit more on the cliche side, but helpful. Never stop learning. Um, There's something about learning from the wisdom of people who have gone before, isn't there? Uh, People who, you know, they've been there, they've done that. It it can just, what they share, what they they have, the experience that they reflect on, uh, feels a little bit bit more tried, uh, tested, and, and, and true. Well, today as we continue our, our, our Seasons of the Soul series, looking at the Psalms uh, this summer, we come to Psalm 90, which is a prayer of reflection from Moses, who's labeled here as the man of God, which is kind of a cool title that he's been given. Uh, really true of this guy. I mean, he's, he's way up there in terms of how much we, we remember him in terms of his impact uh, as a follower of, of God. And uh, this prayer here is a prayer for himself and the people of Israel as they are apparently getting ready to, at long last, enter the promised land, uh, enter the land of Canaan. If you know the story, they've been out in the desert for, for 40 years, and, and now as he's writing this text, from what we can tell, he's, he's writing this as he's getting ready to, they, they are getting ready to enter it. Um, but this is a prayer not just for God to do certain things. It is a prayer that is intended to be overheard. Uh, it, is a, it was a prayer that was intended to be overheard by the folks then and down the ages for us here today to reflect on what was Moses thinking about? What was important to this guy as he kind of had his whole life before him and he was kind of taking it all in? Uh, therefore, this psalm, this, this prayer, has much we can learn from in terms of his life perspective. Uh, we have here Moses' life perspective, and what he lays out for us is essentially this. No matter what you're facing, good times or bad, take the long view in life. Put a different way. Don't be caught up in the here and now alone, but do the, do the due diligence to, to take the lens back a little bit and understand some things about life. For instance, the nature of life and death, and it will do you tremendous help. Um, so we're going to look at Moses' life perspective, what was it, and how can we learn from it? But first, let me, let me pray, and then, we'll, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, thank you for this, this man of God, Moses, who's just a clear example of somebody who just uh, not only faithfully followed you, but was just able to weather some ups and downs in his life. Uh, there's much we can, we can uh, gain from here, but really what we, what we long for is to be touched by your Spirit. Would you use these words, your words, through Moses, 
to uh, mold us, to shape us into more of the likeness of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Moses' life perspective, he starts off by saying, Lord, you have been my dwelling place throughout all generations. He's saying the Lord is our dwelling place, which is really a striking thought if you take into account what this dude had been through in terms of his dwelling places. I mean, about the most stable of a home that this guy had was probably in Egypt living in the palace. But even that didn't last for long. So Moses was born into a family, uh, was born at a time when all the Israelites, the, the male child's boys, were being killed. Pharaoh was a little bit anxious about this growing population of slaves that they had. The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. And he was nervous about them revolting, rising up, having enough strength in numbers. So he basically decreed genocide. So all the baby boys, all the Hebrew baby boys were being killed. Moses was born at that time. And Moses' mom obviously wasn't too keen on that happening. And she, so she basically, in, in sort of a last-ditch effort, put Moses, the baby, in a basket and set him off down the Nile River hoping and praying that God would somehow, some way, take care of him. Well, Pharaoh's daughter was out uh, in the water, uh, and uh, she saw this little baby coming, coming by. She obviously made the connection, the Hebrew boy and, and what was going on, took pity on him, cared for him, loved him, took him in. So Moses was raised in the Egyptian palace. But as I mentioned, that only lasted for so long. Moses wasn't raised in his own people. He was raised in the Egyptian palace, but it, it only lasted so long. When he was a little bit older, there was this time where he saw an Egyptian beating some Hebrew slaves. And without anybody around, he kind of looked to make sure he, he could do this in private. He kind of intervened, intervened and ended up killing the guy. Um, and you would think that these guys would be grateful or at least do their best to keep sensitive information like that, hush, hush. But word quickly spread that Moses had done this, and he knew the jig was up. He knew that the, the Egyptians would eventually come and kill him knowing what he had done. So Moses fled. Then he spent years and years in his dwelling place, out literally running for his life in the desert. Years and years of his life in the desert. And if you know anything about the story of Moses, you know that God met him in the desert, called him out, raised him up out of the desert to deliver God's people from the Egyptians and take them back into the desert, which is where Moses basically spent his whole life. You following me? This is, this, guy, this is this guy's experience of home. This is his dwelling place. He is always on the move. He is getting ready to enter the promised land that he, by the way, understood at that point he would never be entering. He was actually even told he would not be entering. He would pass away, and then the others, the, the, the people would go in. His whole life on the move, and Moses starts this psalm, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You have been our dwelling place. That's a staggering thought. I would think that he'd be tempted, if anything, to say, you know, if he even goes there with the dwelling place, to say, and God, why'd you keep me from any dwelling place? How come I never had basically anywhere I could call home? He doesn't do that. Nor does he say, hey, as I'm looking into this wonderful promise that, that's been coming our way for years, we've been anticipating this promised land. He doesn't say, and finally we get that dwelling house, that, that dwelling place. What does he say? He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Our home, our dwelling place, is not in the comforts of the Egyptian palace. It's not in the promised land. It's not even in heaven to come. Moses says, home is in knowing that God is with us. Uh, he is our dwelling place. Boy, I think that preaches in the Silicon Valley. Any of you guys struggling with, with finding a dwelling place here in this area? 
uh, you know, with, the, with housing prices being so... It's like housing prices are like attached to a rocket mid-flight. Mid I mean, they're just going faster and faster. And it's, it's tough. We laugh about it, but it's, it's a tough environment to live in. Um, do you wrestle with feelings of instability? Feelings of insecurity, feelings of lack of identity, all, of thing, all things of which are, are related to the idea of, of a dwelling place. I, I met with two people this week in the church um, who had both recently lost their jobs. Okay, Silicon Valley lost their jobs. And, and incidentally, under not fun circumstances, it's never fun to lose your, your job. But like the, the boss, both of their bosses kind of um, uh, did a number on them, which is is a whole, whole other thing. So it's kind of a bummer deal, right? Real bummer deal. But each of these guys, independently of each other, by the way, these, these are different separate meetings, um, each of these guys with peace in their, their hearts said to me, it's a good reminder that my security is not in my job, not in where I live, but in the Lord. And I thought, wow, that's what Moses is talking about here. You have been our dwelling place. Moses recognizes that our ultimate security, comfort, identity, does it come in the white picket fence? Um, really deep down, there's no stability there. Ultimately, uh, there's no peace. There's no uh, security, identity. No, that can come only from our relationship with the Lord. Uh, to, you know, to pause and, and think about it from this perspective, there's a number of you here that you're really living this out. Um, there's a number of you here, you're living with this life perspective, and you are such a gift to us. You're such a gift to many. We knew when we were starting Current that we were starting a church in a very transient place. Uh, I read uh, not long ago that uh, at any given time in the Silicon Valley, over a third of the population is actively looking to move away. Over a third, which if you want to have that in perspective, for our community to kind of stay, you know, the same side, we have to grow by a third, essentially. I mean, that's, that's how much churn there is in the Silicon Valley. But there are some of you here, it's your calling. It's your vision that you're carrying to be women and men invested for the Lord in this area, to be people here who can minister to folks as they come in and come out, which, by the way, is a wonderful calling because you know this area. You know the capacity of this area. You know that people not only need Jesus, but if they come to know Jesus, you think about what can happen. We've already, by the way, been seeing people come to faith. For instance, as they're visiting uh, from you know, one country comes to mind where, you know, they're doing their postdoc here. They, they, they hear about Jesus. They've come to, the, to know Jesus here. And we're sending them back into parts of the world where they can't share their faith openly. But they are doing it quietly. That's the role that we get to play. And a lot of you are saying, you know what you're doing? You're saying, you know what? I'm living in an urban, more of an urban home than I probably otherwise would be. Or you are committing yourself essentially to moving every year or two to avoid the rising rent prices and all those sorts of things, you are actively claiming God is your dwelling place. Um, and can I just say, you're in really good company. Uh, Hebrews 11 describes these great men and women of faith, by the way, which includes Moses in this way. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, including, for instance, Moses. He didn't receive the promised land. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking about the country they had left, they would have had plenty of opportunity to return. 
Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God wants us to find our dwelling place in him. And if we really think about it, it's there alone that we find ultimate stability, security, peace, comfort, and rest that can never be taken away from us. That's how Moses starts off his psalm. Uh, Verses 2 through 11, talking about life perspective, this is how I've kind of framed it. I feel like he's saying, God is God and we are not. Uh, you're looking at verse 5 specifically. People are like the new grass of the morning. In the, uh, in the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it is dry and withered. I think we all understand we tend to live life as if we are immortal or invincible. I mean, we all understand that that's not true, but I think so often what we do is we just approach life like we're going to be around forever, which we know is, is just not the case. But some of us, boy, we're really starting to learn that that's just not how it works. Some of you are, you know, your, your parents are getting to the age where it's like, okay, they're a little less able on their own, and it, and it hits us in a new place. We start to feel the invinci- uh, that sense of invincibility, uh, invincibility start to break a little bit. Some of you, some of you have experienced cancer. Some of you have a close person in your life who has uh, cancer or other chronic illness. Uh, you know, I have this arthritis condition, which I, makes, I can definitely vouch that uh, there's nothing quite like losing the control of your body to help, help you understand that life is short. Um, we are not God. God is God. Uh, the next verse, verse 7, we are consumed by your anger, Moses writes, and terrified by your indignation. What is that about? Consumed by your anger, terrified by your indignation? Moses knew and had a uniquely intimate relationship with the Lord. Moses, after he had fled to the desert the first time, God came to him and spoke through the burning bush. Then, after he helped take the people out of Egypt and back into the desert, God met him on the mountain and gave him the Ten Commandments. Moses knew God to be holy. Moses knew God to be uh, set apart his ways, perfectly righteous, perfectly pure, perfectly upright. And as such, he is one who hates sin, as the Bible calls it. Just, just hates it, detests it. Um, he, he detests injustices in the world. And by the way, not just like out there in the world, but in here, in our own hearts, in our, in our interpersonal relationships. I heard uh, a good friend of mine this week experience some prejudices expressed towards her. Uh, that, that, made me, that made me sad. It made me angry, as it would you, no doubt. How much more does God, who is perfectly just, righteous, loving, how much more would he hate such things and be bothered by such things? Moses' point is we all sit underneath his, his anger. We are, we're consumed by it. We are terrified. It, it unsettles us. Verse 8 He says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. He's saying we're all guilty at the end of the day. Uh, We're all unsettled by this. I'm reading a book right now on suffering, and it's it's kind of making the point uh, about how all major religions and a lot of philosophy, actually, uh, are trying to solve for the problem and weight of evil and suffering in the world. Okay, not just in the like you know out there sense, but in our own hearts. If you think about it, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, uh, many others, uh, all are trying to solve for this this weight that that we inherently feel. Ironically, he and he and other authors make the point uh, quite compellingly that secularism in the West is is the least equipped 
to deal with the problem of evil and suffering in the world, but that's, that's a sermon for, for another time, I guess. Um, but for so many, a key and critical issue is we know things are off and off in each of us. Romans 7, to me, articulates this better than anywhere else. Romans 7 was written by a, a guy named Paul, the first church planter, the first guy to go around and start churches in the, in the ancient world. He said this, and this is more of a paraphrase. He said, you know, at the end of the day, the things that I know I should be doing, I don't do those things. And the things I know I shouldn't be doing, I do those things. It's worth mentioning that here's Paul, the guy who's writing those words, who basically, who ended up being martyred for loving others, giving his life for others. He concludes that chapter by saying, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Put another way, where is salvation? Who will bring it? Uh, which really is the question uh, so many feel, even if you've never articulated that way, way before. And so if Moses is saying this, this man of God, he feels the weight of this, how much more would we? God is God, and we are not. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. I love how real the Bible is. Maybe you would never articulate it as God's wrath, but I wonder if you would, you would say, yeah, I see that when, when it's saying, you know what, we know enough in life to know that it, it, it stirs in us just some moaning. It leads us to moan. Uh, Moses is saying, the, and, and the Bible teaches, there are things, the things aren't how they are supposed to be. So in verses 13 through 16, he does his four rapid-fire prayers. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as, you have, as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Moses is saying there's a weight, a feeling, a burden that we feel, this burden of sorrows in life, and we are not clean, we are not guiltless, but nevertheless, he knows... He believes, he understands that somehow God is able to give these things to him, that in the Lord there is hope, that somehow God will be able to give compassion, uh, satisfaction of the soul, and make our hearts glad, bring us joy. The question then is, how? Um, the amazing thing to me is Moses had no idea. Do you see the tension built into this psalm? It's built into the whole scriptures. Moses, on the one hand, is saying, God, you are our dwelling place throughout all generations. We can cling to you. At the same time, but we are consumed by your anger, by your righteous judgment. Do you see that tension? Do you feel that? That's here. Moses had no idea how it was going to work out, but he knew deep down it was going to work out. He had no idea that it would mean the Lord himself would come to bring about all these things. Uh, in his letter to the church, Peter, Jesus' main disciple, his main student, would write this about the salvation Jesus brought. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets, which by the way includes Moses here, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that, we, that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels 
long to look into these things. I love that last line. Even angels longed into Even angels didn't understand what Moses didn't understand when he wrote that psalm. How is God going to solve for the fact that he is our dwelling place, and yet we are somehow, we are all, each and every one of us, including the man of God himself, Moses, consumed by his anger? How could God, at the same time, end the effects of sin without ending us is another way of putting that. Um, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he came to do. That is, if you look at verse 16, the great deed to show his splendor to his children. For on the cross, in our place, Jesus made himself under God's wrath. He was utterly consumed by it, and it, and it ended his life with the deepest of all moans. Why? So that we could freely receive his compassion. So we could freely receive his satisfying of our souls, his unfailing love, and so that our hearts once and for all could be made glad, uh, even in the midst of the worst of sorrows in this life. Uh, that is what Jesus uh, does for us in taking care of sin and bringing us back into a relationship with God, is we can now in everything have absolute confidence and hope in the Lord. He is our dwelling place. Um, what, what do we do with this, just to kind of move to you know, what this means for our lives. I, I, for starters, if you've never received this, what Jesus has done for you, uh, this is an invitation for you to, to, to receive what He's done. Uh, the Bible says, whoever receives Him, to those who believe on His name, He gives the right to become children of God. You can receive what He's done for you today, and that's exactly it. It's what He has done. Nothing we can do, but everything that He has done for us. And if you have received Him, here's the main thought Moses has for you. It's in verse 12. If you, if you want to just sum up the main thought, it seems to me, in this psalm, is verse 12, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Here's the way I'm, I think of that verse. Life is short, so make it count. Um, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Verse 10, which won't be on the screen, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of of wisdom. Cindy's dad passed away relatively early, and it really jolted our systems. Uh, he was very healthy, ate healthily, is that a word? Uh, every day, went to the gym every day, and yet at a relatively young age was diagnosed with non-smoking lung cancer. I remember driving back up from the memorial service in San Diego back up to the Bay Area. I remember exactly where we were. We were passing Camp Pendleton. Um, when it, we, Cindy and I just had one of those conversations in the car of just like, boy, life is short. It hit Cindy especially hard because she, because her dad had been diagnosed at exactly twice the years that she was at the time. So she's thinking, man, is this? Um, and actually, this is the verse that's been kind of a, a big, has had a big impact on our lives, a driving force. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How can we live for the Lord. A couple, a couple of takeaways, uh, just as we as we begin to wrap up. Uh, prayer is essential. Okay, uh, Moses asks of God, teach us. So prayer cannot be overlooked here. Um, we need God's discernment, God's leading. We need to ask for it. Not only ask, but take the time to sit and listen. We need Him to teach us to number our days aright. Um, but number two, the second thought I'd say here is, I, I feel like this this psalm invites us to take stock in life. Um, take inventory, however you want to put that. Uh, this is about life perspective, to take in life for what it really is, but not to just let that be a passing thought or feeling, uh, but to live accordingly. 
Uh, there's a parable in, in, that Jesus told uh, toward the end of his life, which is seemingly uncoincidental to me here, um, where he tells the parable of the talents. He talks about how there's a master going away on, on a journey, and before he goes, he entrusts to each of his uh, servants a, a good deal of money, to one five talents, to one two talents of money, one one talent. For the sake of, of time here, talent just meant millions of dollars in today's economy. So one got five, two. And, and the ones that got the five and two talents went out at once, the Scriptures say, put them to work. We don't know how, but they somehow managed to double the amount. And at the end of, of the time, when the master came, came back, there was a lot of celebration. Everybody was happy. Well done, good and faithful servant, the master said to these uh, servants. Uh, but the third servant went out, took his one talent, buried it under the ground, and just figured, you know what, we're going to leave it at that. I don't have to spend a lot of time here, but in telling the story, Jesus concluded by saying that the master was not too happy about that. Um, why? Because this servant had squandered what he had been entrusted to steward. Um, that's Jesus' point. I think that's kind of what Moses is getting at here, too, is that we understand life is short, and God wants us to make it, it count. How can we make it count? Um, my guess is you already know. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, I'm guessing you already know the things that matter and that will last. Uh, to summarize it, you just think of the three, three great love commandments. That's an easy way to kind of have an umbrella to understand these things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. All these things, God wants us to live for the sake of others. Uh, things that He cares about that will, that will last forever. But there's a strong current in the Silicon Valley uh, to find our ultimate dwelling place in things that are more short-lived, to hoard, to store them up for ourselves in uh, things that won't last or carry over into the next. So the question here then becomes, what's your next step? What can you do as a result of this psalm, living differently because of this amazing life perspective given by Moses? Any number of ways you can kind of take this. You can pray this through. You can go on a walk. You can take stock that way. Cindy and I, well, we used to get like a little yellow page, a little yellow pad of paper and just kind of write things out there. That was helpful for us. We now use Evernote. Um, and we just kind of like, hey, in, in this area of our life with the kids now, like, what, you know, how are we, how can you teach us to number our days right that we may gain a heart of wisdom? In our, in our personal life, in our marriage, in, 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 our, in the ministry, and all, all, so on and so forth. So you can get practical about it. But what's your next step? Uh, I had, so one of those, those guys that I had uh, lunch with this week um, had had, you know, the, one of the guys who lost his, his job, had also found out the day before he heard he was losing his job that he, he, he had just lost someone he, he, he loves really close to him. So you're talking about a hard week, okay? On Wednesday, he found out he lost someone really close to him. And on Thursday, by the way, with his boss knowing that all that had happened the day before, he found out that he was losing his job. So not a fun, fun week. Actually, uh, he was telling me they were walking into uh, church last week, and uh, he said to, to his wife, he said, Honey, I bet you, I just bet you, with everything that's going on right now, that the message is going to be about suffering. And if you were here last week, the message was about suffering. Um, he was telling me about a conversation he had with his dad, and his, his dad, oh, over the phone, his dad was like, son, you, you know, the first few days here, you were, you were, you know, it was understandably hard for you, you're working these things through, but it's only been a few days now, and yet you have a peace about you. Like, explain that to me. How, how does that, how, does, how are you having this peace? And he said, he was relaying, like, he said that the, the response uh, came without hesitation. He said, dad, because there's a next step. 
I'm excited, Dad, to see what God has next for me. And I'm just like, wow. He told me that, and I was like, dude, you thought the sermon was going to be about suffering last week? This sermon is going to be about reflection. And I was, it was just like, anyways, it was one of those conversations. And he, he started telling me, okay, I'm, you know, I realize I'm taking this time in my life to realize without this job now, that I had been working at a job that even for Silicon Valley standards was taking far too much of my time. I've been neglecting some things that are really important. Spending some time with the Lord, being intentional about community. He was just taking this in. I was just like, my goodness, that's what we're talking about. He's not here today. He's traveling. Uh, but he said I could use this example. Um, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There's always a next step. You know, one of the things we kind of reflected on uh, is that there's, if, if you're a follower of Christ, there's always a next step. Even when you're on your deathbed, there's a next step. And that step is going to be the most glorious of all of them. But here and now, at the time that the Lord has allotted for us, gives us, what can we do? How can we take this in? How can we let this sink in and then live accordingly? Um, there's always going to be a next step. What's yours? You know, just, just to throw out some ideas. Maybe it looks like joining a current group this fall. And when you're really tired, you know, sticking with it. Maybe it's waking up 20 minutes earlier this week to read the Scripture, to pray before you start your day. Maybe it's seeking someone further along in their faith. Um, asking them to lunch or coffee or someone, so, asking someone newer in their faith. Asking them to lunch or coffee. Maybe it's committing to serve, giving of your time. Maybe it's learning to be generous, to see things uh, as, as uh, belonging to God that meant to be steward and bless, a blessing for others. Maybe it's inviting a coworker along to one of these activity groups we just talked about, the board game, the family, any, any number of things. Uh, you get the point. There are lots of ways to prioritize what matters, which boils down to loving God and loving others. That's it. Um, so let me close our time as the band comes up and uh, pray Moses' prayer over us. In the last verse, he says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands 